بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده تعالى ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so last session we were going over the hadith of Abdullah bin Mas'ud which is the fourth hadith collected by quoted by Imam al-Nawi in his Arba'in and we said that Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad's explanation to this hadith is divided into how many parts? Hmm? Uh, Eleven parts So last, last week uh, we got the end of the 10th part, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad's explanation, the last part of each explanation is just a summary, a summary of the points of benefit taken from the hadith. So this hadith is divided into 11 parts, its explanation is of 11 parts. Last week we finished with part number 10, so today uh, we'll just go over the uh, benefits found in part number 11. So number one, this hadith this hadith, it mentions the stages of the development of the human being in the womb. Stages of human development within the womb. Number two, that the blowing of the soul into the, to the fetus occurs after 120 days. At that point, he becomes a human being. At that point, she is considered a human being. Number three, third benefit. Know from this hadith now that uh, there are angels that are entrusted with the womb and with the affairs of the womb. Number four. In this hadith, we've been told about what is happening inside of the womb. This is from the ghayb. Therefore, this hadith in it, al-iman bil-ghayb, having iman in the unseen. Ghayb meaning the unseen. Number five in this hadith is the fact that every single thing has been pre-decreed. Everything that is to occur has been predetermined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, this hadith in it is the iman in al-qadr, having faith, having faith in pre-decree. Number six. In this hadith, the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam makes halaf, he swears by Allah. He says, فَوَاللَّهِ الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُهُ By Allah. يعني, I swear by Allah. Why did he do this? In order to emphasize his statement. Therefore, in this narration, is al-halaf taking a, uh, يعني, swearing by Allah, swearing by Allah, in order to emphasize 
one's speech without seeking someone to make the halaq without seeking someone to make the uh, to swear by Allah so a person can emphasize his statement by swearing by Allah without seeking from someone else to swear by Allah Sheikh Abdul Mufti Al-Bazi said number seven anna al-a'mal bil khawatim that actions are bil khawatim actions are by the endings actions are by the endings meaning the thing that really is relevant the thing that really counts thing that really counts the thing that re- the thing that really holds weight is the state that you're going to be in when you die the state that you're going to be in when you die so if it is the case that you've lived a life of evil of sin upon uh, fusuq upon isyan upon kufr even but then before you died became mustaqim you became upright you became righteous you became a muslim that is the thing that holds weight that is the thing that counts likewise the opposite if it is the case that you lived your whole life upon righteousness but now when you die the state that you're in when you die is a state of unrighteousness that is the thing that holds weight now we fear for you we fear for you having an evil uh, 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 and, and evil, uh, facing evil consequences in the afterlife. The one that lived upon Islam, raised upon Islam, dies upon kufr, dies upon disbelief. All of that, all of that which he did in his life as a Muslim, that does not hold no weight now. Actions are by the khawatim, by the endings. Number eight. الجمع بين الخوف والرجاء. Hadith it shows the importance of uh, uh, combining combining between fear and hope. Between fear and hope. So that the one who has been righteous, he still fears. If he still fears having an evil end. And the one that has been perpetrating evil, and that person should not lose hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This hadith it shows that we should balance, be balanced between hope and fear. Have hope and have fear. Number nine, that actions are a means and a cause of entrance into paradise or fire or the fire of hell. Number ten, that the one who has been. Huh? Number nine. Okay. Number nine, what's number nine? Put your hand up. Number nine. Actions are a means of entrance into paradise. Number 10. That the one who has been 
written down as having a wretched end. Nobody knows this particular uh, affair of his. Nobody knows this. In the dunya, nobody knows this person, this person that someone considers to be righteous and pious, and he has been, he's actually been written down as having a wretched end. Nobody, nobody knows this in the dunya. Likewise, the opposite. Somebody may have been written down as a good, righteous, having a good, righteous end. Parting from the dunya as a good, righteous person. Everybody else, they see him as being a, an evil and a sinful person. Because nobody knows what his hal is going to be when he dies. Therefore, nobody knows what his hal actually is right now. Yani when it was written down by the angel. When the angel uh, 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 was ordered to write down those four matters in the womb. So those are the ten Points that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he mentioned. Next is the fifth hadith, the hadith of Umm uh, Al-Mu'minina, Umm Abdullah Aisha radiAllahu Taala Anha. قالت قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه منه فهو رد. He said that the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام said, whoever introduces into this affair of ours, meaning into this deen, that which is not from it, then it is rad, then it is rad, it is rejected. Rawahu al-Bukhari wa Muslim, wa fi riwayatin li Muslim, man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fahuwa rad. That first narration, that first narration, is a narration recorded its wording is a narration that's been recorded by Imam Bukhari wa Muslim. In another report found in Imam Muslim Sahih, the Messenger said, Whoever does an action, whoever does an action that is not from our affair, then it shall be rejected, then it is rejected. The difference between the two reports. The first one says, "Man ahdatha fi amrina hada." Whoever introduces something into this affair of ours, someone that introduces something into Islam. The second one is, "Man amila amalan." Whoever does an action that isn't from our affair. Very important to note this um, subtle difference in wording. Because Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad is going to speak about it shortly. Sorry? It's in the text. It's in the text of Imam al It's in the actual text of Arba'in. So Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad's explanation to this is divided into nine parts. Into nine parts. Again, the ninth part being a summary of the benefits. So part number one. Part number one. What is the first hadith, by the way? What is the first hadith in Al-Arba'in al-Nawawi? What's the first hadith that we studied? Innam al-A'mal bin niyat Their actions are by their intentions. That hadith is an asal, is a foundational uh, hadith 
in weighing out the actions as far as the internal is concerned. As far as the internal is concerned. Yani the intentions. The intentions. The location of the intention is the inside, is the inter it's the internal aspect. So that first hadith is a hadith by which the internal aspect of an action is weighed and determined. Its validity is determined. This hadith here, this hadith here, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, this hadith aslun fi waznil a'mal al-zahira. This hadith is a, uh, a foundational uh, hadith in weighing the external actions, in determining the validity of actions externally. First hadith, innam al-a'mal bin niyat is a narration that uh, determines the validity of actions internally, yani internal actions, meaning your intention. This hadith here, this, this hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, is a hadith by which external actions are weighed. Yani their validity is determined. I.e. that any action, any action by which a person desires closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to be in accordance with what the Messenger came with. This is what this hadith, the fifth hadith in Imam al-Nawi's Arba'een is in relation to. It's in relation to the fact that the action that you perform sincerely has to be in accordance with the sunnah of the Messenger So that, So that is part number one. That is part number one. This hadith is an aslun fi wazn al-a'mal al-zahira. It is a asl in weighing the external actions, i.e. determining the validity of external actions. Or actions externally. Okay, number two. That if actions, acts of worship rather, if acts of worship such as wudu, such as ghusl from janaba, such as salah, if these acts of worship or any other acts of worship are performed in contradiction to the legislation, in contradiction to the legislation, if an act of worship is performed not in accordance to what the Prophet ﷺ came with, then that action is rejected, that action is invalid. That's one point that the Sheikh mentions within, within this second part of his explanation. That an action that isn't performed in accordance to the legislation, as in how it's been legislated, then that action is uh, rejected. Uh. I'm going to give some example right now. This is going to be about... So part number two, uh, we can say that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin uh, mentions two points. Number one, the fact that the action is rejected. It's invalid. Part number two, or point number two, that that which is taken, a merchandise, for example, that is taken, that is taken, 
based upon an invalid uh, 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 transaction, any merchandise that is taken based upon an invalid transaction, so for example, buying and selling, buying and selling, there are rules and regulations concerning it within our sharia, within our law, within the Islamic law. If it is the case that an act of buying and selling occurs in an invalid manner, in an invalid manner, then the merchandise that was taken based upon that invalid transaction, it has to be returned back to the seller. If there was a, a business transaction, but the business transaction was invalid as per the rules and regulations of the Sharia, then the merchandise, the property that was purchased, that was taken, has to be returned back. So an example of this, Shaykh Abdul Hussain Abadi mentions uh, the story of the Asif. The story of the Asif. This is a story that is recorded in Al-Bukhari wa Muslim. Al-Bukhari wa Muslim. The story of the Asif is that there was a, uh, an Asif, a, uh, a, a man that was employed as a laborer. A man that was employed as a, as a laborer for someone, for his master, for a master. Yani for, a, for an employer. This laborer ended up committing illegal sexual intercourse with his employer's wife. With his employer's wife. So now, the employer's, uh, the employer wanted to find out what is it that we, what is the penalty that this man and my wife is meant to face. So he asked some people, not people of knowledge, and they said, uh, the young man, he is meant to be stoned to death. And the woman is meant to be lashed. Now the father of the young man, the father of the young man, he obviously, he didn't want his son to be stoned. So instead, he ransomed his son by offering 100 sheep to his former employer, to the man whose wife, the son, committed the act with. He said, I'll give you 100 sheep and I'll give you a female servant. So the employer, he took that offer. But then he asked uh, the people of knowledge, he asked some other people of knowledge, and then they said no, rather the woman Rather, the man, he is meant to be uh, lashed and exiled for a year. And the woman, she is meant to be stoned to death. So now, they came to the Messenger, alayhi salatu When they came to the Messenger, alayhi salatu asking him to judge between them, uh, then the Messenger, alayhi salatu he said, أَمَّا الْوَلِيدَةِ وَالْغَنَمِ فَرُدُّنَ عَلَيْهِ As for the uh, female servant and the ghanam, the, the sheep, then they are to be returned back to you. They are to be returned back to the father of the boy, of the man, of the, the father of the of the man who committed the act. Okay. So the point being is that an invalid transaction took place between this man, father, the father, and the other man, the employer. An invalid business transaction took between, took place between them, and as a result of it of it being invalid. 
the merchandise, the property, the belongings, what, the whatever that he, that the uh, that the employer purchased, had to now be returned back to its original original owner. Why? Because the transaction was invalid. And if it's invalid, then the actual merchandise or the thing that is purchased has to be returned back to its original owner. Why? Number three. This hadith, it indicates that the one who innovates, the one who innovates something into the legislation, something that doesn't have any basis, then that innovation is rejected. Likewise, the perpetrator of the innovation, he is threatened with punishment, meaning in the afterlife. He is threatened with punishment. And in this life as well, as far as the curse of Allah is concerned. As far as the curse of Allah. So this person who commits, uh, uh, or the one who, uh, 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 the one who uh, perpetrates an innovation, this person, he is threatened with punishment. As the Messenger والسلام, said about Al Madina, the Messenger said about Al Madina, Man ahdatha fiha hadathan, whoever innovates within it, meaning innovates a heresy within Al Madina, whoever innovates a heresy within Al Madina, or awa muhdithan, or accommodates an innovator. Accommodates an innovator. Now here the Messenger isn't just talking about the innovator. The one who accommodates the innovator. He accommodates the innovator. فَعَلَيْهِ لَعْنَةُ اللَّهِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِينَ Then upon him is the la'na of Allah, the curse of Allah, and the angels, and the whole of Humankind. So this narration here of the Messenger والسلام, shows that the one who commits the act of innovation, that he he is under threat from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment. Number four, number four, part number four. If we go back to the actual narrations that Imam An Nawi mentions here. He mentioned two wordings, didn't he? The first one was Man Ahdatha Whoever innovates into this affair of ours, innovates into the deen of Allah, innovates into the legislation. The second one was Man Amila Amalan. Whoever does an action that isn't from our affair. First one says Man Ahdatha Whoever innovates. Second one, Man Amila Amalan. Whoever uh, uh, does an action that isn't from our legislation. Does an action. So therefore, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad he says, "Riwayah al-thaniyah alati inda Muslim aam min al-riwayah alati fi sahihain." So this second wording that is just with Imam Muslim is more broad. It is broader in meaning than the wording that is found. In the two Sahihs, in Yani Bukhari and Muslim. The other wording, the other report that is found in Sahih Muslim, 
is broader. When the messenger says, whoever does an action that isn't from our affair, it shall be rejected, that is obviously more broader, more inclusive than the former one. If the former one, that says the one who innovates. So that therefore may imply that it is in reference solely to the innovator. But now we have another narration, which now tells us that it is not just the one who, يعني, the mukhtari', the divisor of the innovation. Okay, you have the mukhtari', the one that devises the innovation. The one that actually, you know, puts the innovation together. Like Ja'ad ibn Dirham, or Jaham ibn Safwan, um, or Sayyid Qutb, or Hassan al-Banna. The one that actually put the innovation together. Okay, so Ja'ad ibn Dirham, Jaham ibn Safwan. They are the ones that devised the philosophy behind the philosophical uh, interpretations that they have concerning the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah doesn't speak. Allah doesn't uh, uh, rise above his arsh. Allah he doesn't have any attributes and so on and so forth. Those that devise the innovation. They are the ones that ahdathu hadhi bid'ah. They are the ones that innovated this innovation. Wasil ibn Ata. The one who innovated the innovation of i'tizal. The mu'tazila. Okay, the mukhtari, the one that devises the innovation, puts it together. Hassan al-Banna, the one that devised the innovation of, let us get together concerning that which we agree upon and excuse each other in that which we disagree upon. Okay, or Sayyid Qutb concerning al-Hakimiyah, uh, uh, for example. So the one that devises the innovation, you can see that they are being categorically referred to in the first report. But now we find that it isn't only the one that devises the innovation, his action is rejected. Likewise, the one who follows the innovator, follows the innovator in his innovation. So the one that follows Ja'ad ibn Dirham, follows Wasil ibn Ata', follows Jahan ibn Safwan, follows uh, Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Qutb, follows the innovator in the innovation that that, that innovator devised. Okay, so the point being that the second narration is A'am. It is broader and it is more all-inclusive. It includes the innovator, the divisor of the innovation, and likewise the one that follows him. Point number five, this is something that those that are a bit more familiar with the Arabic language and a bit of sarf uh, morphology, they'll be, able, they'll be able to relate to it. Say that again. Yeah. Say the Qutb, he said that the uh, the rulers today, they're all, all disbelievers. The rulers today, they're all disbelievers. Not just that. But the people that are on the minarets, calling the Adhan, they are disbelievers. <coughs> Not just that. But the general population that are uh, 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 under that government, they are disbelievers. Not just that. Rather, all of our society, we are in a state of jahiliyyah. We are in a state of jahiliyyah. Jahiliyyah is a, is a term that denotes pre-Islamic ignorance. Okay? This, this idea of his isn't taken from Quran and Sunnah. Right? It's taken from a literal interpretation of the Quran and Sunnah. So when, when, when it comes to interpreting the Quran and Sunnah, there is a, a specific manhaj, a specific methodology that we are meant to uh, uh, employ in, inter- in interpreting the ayat. Okay? So when it comes to tafsir of Quran, First, you go, يعني, an ayah, you explain it with another ayah. 
That's the manhaj of the Salaf when it comes to tafsir. Then with a the hadith. Then with a the statement of the companions. Then the last thing that you do is you go to the Arabic language. Sayyid Qutb, because he was somebody that was well versed in the Arabic language, he, he, he ended up resorting to making tafsir of the Qur'an directly from the Arabic language. And thus he made an absolute blunder in that regard. And as a result of that, he produced many deviated beliefs. One of them was this belief here. That uh, 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 those that are not judging by, when, I, when we say hakimiyah, he's, he's saying that those aren't, that aren't judging by what Allah, has, what Allah has revealed, they are disbelievers. Where did he get this, this understanding from? From this ayah, Those that don't judge by what Allah has revealed, then they are the kafirun, they are the disbelievers. What did he do? What, did he, what, 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 what was his fault here? He resorted to the Arabic language. He didn't go back to the books of tafsir. Because if he, if he had have done, then he would have found that Ibn Abbas, he said concerning this ayah, kufr duna kufr. This is minor kufr. The one that doesn't eject you outside of the fall of Islam. But because Sayyid Qutb was influenced by European philosophy, one of those philosophers being Alexis Carroll. Alexis Carroll was a French philosopher, a Christian French philosopher, who looked at French society. And he observed that French society, French society had entered into a state of what he called barbarism. Alexis Carroll, a French Christian philosopher. He looks at French people, and he sees that French people, they're not really good Christians anymore. They're very irreligious. They're not religious. So Alexis Carroll, when he writes about this, he says that the French Christians, they have gone into a state of barbarism. Sayyid Qutb, because he wasn't nurtured upon Quran and Sunnah, he wasn't nurtured upon the manhaj of the Salaf, there was a point in the life of Sayyid Qutb where he even doubted Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, there was a time in his life when he was not a Muslim. He was, a, he was an apostate. Later on, he came back to Islam. But when he was, for example, in America, working for the Ministry of Education in America, when he was there, he used to go to the churches. And he, he would ring the bells in the churches. It was when he was in the churches, and then he saw people singing in the churches, people dancing in the churches. And when he went to Egypt, he saw the culture of America coming into Egypt. He saw Western culture coming into Egypt. As a result of that, he became religious. And thus he joined the Muslim Brotherhood. He had no khalfiya, he had no background in terms of the manhaj of the Salaf. So because of that lack of understanding that he had of the manhaj of the Salaf concerning despotic rulers, concerning hakimiyyah, concerning how to revive the ummah when it's... When it's, when it's uh, uh, in the state that it is, concerning how to make tafsir of the Qur'an, because of his lack of knowledge concerning the manhaj of the salaf, of these matters, he ended up interpreting the Qur'an and Sunnah based upon the philosophies of 19th century European philosophers. One of them was Alexis Carroll. Alexis Carroll says that the Christians in France have entered into a state of barbarism. Sayyid Qutb imported that word into Islam but he changed the word from barbarism into jahiliyyah. And he said that the Muslims have entered into a state of jahiliyyah. Into, into a state of jahiliyyah. And thus as a result of that, he excommunicated all of the Muslim 
societies. The rulers, starting from the rulers, and then all the way down. Why? Because they are not judging by what Allah has revealed. But it's not as simple as that. There are different mawani of takfir. There are different barriers for ta- before takfir can be made. And before takfir is even made, it isn't for the layman. It isn't for the talib al-ilm. It is for the ulama to make takfir upon the people. So for that reason, we found that the ulama, whenever they came to know about the hal of Sayyid Qutb, not just about hakimiyah, but about other things. For example, he said that Islam is just a mixture of communism and Christianity. That uh, Ahl Sunnah and the Shia, they're upon naqa, they're upon purity. We're upon the same thing. So Sayyid Qutb, he had many, many deviations. Hakimiyah was just one of them. We know that hukum does belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no doubt. Hukum belongs to Allah jalla wa'az, that is Allah's right. Legislation is Allah jalla wa'ala's right. But as far as making blanket takfir upon the whole society, which, which Sayyid Qutb fell into, that isn't from the manager of the Salaf. Not too sure if that helps. Okay? So, yeah, um, point number five. Point number five. So part number five. So as I said before, this, this part, part five here is something that those that are more familiar with sarf and Arabic morphology will be able to relate to. معنى قوله في الحديث رد أي مردود عليه وهو من إطلاق المصدر وإرادة اسم المفعول So the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام he said in this hadith من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه فهو رد whoever introduces something into this affair of ours that which is not from it then that thing is رد that thing is رد رد literally it means rejecting it is a master. It is a master. It is a it is a verbal noun. Okay? Yani the uh, the verb in the form of a noun. Verb in the form of a noun. It's a master. So it literally means rejecting. Literally means rejecting. However, in the Arabic language, a master can be used in order to uh, imply the maf'ul, in order to imply the object of the sentence. Meaning Literally, rad means rejecting, but in this context it means rejected. Okay? So, uh, again, the uh, verbal noun in Arabic, the verbal noun can at times imply the object. The object. Grammatically speaking, the object. So, rad means reject, literally, it means rejecting, the action of rejecting, but in this context it means rejected. Just like when we say khalq, the khalq of Allah. Khalq, khalq literally means creating. But when we say that the sun, the moon, the stars is from the khalq of Allah, it is from literally the creating of Allah, meaning from the Makhluk of Allah, from the creation of Allah. Okay, again, those that know Arabic, uh, those that are familiar with Arabic morphology, they'll be able to relate, relate to that. That is a point of benefit more so for them. Number six. That, that this hadith, when this hadith is saying, whoever introduces into our affair that which is not from it, then it shall have it, then it shall be rejected. This does not uh, include, on this, يعني, this does not include those matters that are uh, uh, used for the preservation of the religion or a means by which the preservation of the religion is attained. Okay? 
This is in relation to the actual religion itself, acts of worship within the religion itself, beliefs within the religion itself being introduced. As for wasail, as for means by which the religion is preserved, then that isn't included within the meaning of this narration. For example, Arabic grammar. Arabic grammar. Ism, fi'il, harf, fa'il, maf'ul bihi. All of these terms of Arabic grammar, did they exist in the time of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam? No. Are they innovations though? In the actual religion though? No. They are just a means as a result of which the Arabic language, language of the Quran, language of the Hadith, language of the Athar of the Companions, that language is preserved. Ism, fi'l, harf, fa'il, maf'ul bihi, all of these things, they didn't exist. Arabic grammar didn't exist in the time of the Companions. Why? Because they all spoke uh, the pure, clear Arabic. Now, when the non-Arabs started to embrace Islam and started to mix with the Arab, then as a result of that, uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu, he then uh, uh, ordered for the writing down, the recording, the classification of Arabic grammar so that the Arabic language can be preserved. So that is an example of how those matters that are used just to preserve the deen, preserve the deen, they're not innovations of the deen itself, but they are means and mechanisms as a result, by way of which the deen is preserved. They don't enter into this hadith. Part number seven. Part number seven. So this hadith, الحديث يدل بإطلاقه على رد كل عمل مخالف للشرع ولو كان ولو كان قصد صاحبه حسنا. This hadith it categorically informs us of the fact that the act of worship that contradicts the sharia is rejected regardless of the of the good intention of the person behind it this hadith categorically informs us that any act that contradicts the sharia is rejected even if regardless of how sincere the intention of the person behind that action is. And we know this by the story of the companion who slaughtered his slaughtering, slaughtering that you do on Yom Al-Eid. Before Salat Al-Eid, there was a companion that slaughtered his slaughtering before Salat Al-Eid. When are you meant to slaughter your slaughtering? After Salat al-Eid. So this action here, was it in conf uh, did it um, conform and go in line with the Sharia? Yeah. This companion slaughtered his slaughtering be before it, not after it. You're meant to do it after it. He did it before it. So therefore, did it go in line with the Sharia? No. Okay, so that means what? That means what? 
Is his slaughtering considered the slaughtering for Eid? No, it's not. That's why the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said to him, Shatuka shatulahan. Your slaughter, your, your, um, your, uh, uh, your sheep is, a, is just the slaughtered sheep, the shatulahan, uh, the, the meat of a sheep. Your, your, yeah, it's not the udhiya. Yeah, yeah. It's permitted, it's permitted. But your your sheep is just a sheep of meat. Your sheep is a sheep of meat. I.e. it is not considered as an udhiya, a sacrifice, a sacrificial animal that is slaughtered on the day of Eid. It's not considered as that. It's not valid as far as that is concerned. Permissible for you to eat it, but that's all it is. Just meat. Just like any other meat that you slaughter on any other day. And lastly, point number, part number nine. This hadith has a mantuq and a mafhum. So part number eight, this hadith has a mantuq and it has a mafhum. It has a mantuq and uh, uh, a pronounced meaning, an explicit meaning, a meaning that is explicit. It's in the wording itself, it's there. Right? It's been pronounced, it's been said. It has a mantuq, an explicit meaning, and it has a mafhum, an implied meaning. Implied meaning. It's not, it wasn't verbally said, this implied meaning wasn't verbally said, but it's understood, it's inferred from the text. So the mantuq of it, the mantuq of it, the uh, expressed meaning, the verbalized meaning, the uttered meaning, is that obviously any action that is done not in accordance to what Allah has legislated, that action is rejected. That action is rejected. That's the mantuq of the, of the hadith. That is the explicit meaning of the hadith. The implied meaning of the hadith, the mafhum of the hadith, is what? What do we infer from that then? What's, what's the thing that we get from that? Something that wasn't um, explicit, explicitly mentioned by the Messenger, والسلام, but it's inferred from his statement. This mafhum, this implied meaning is that every action that is in accordance to what has been legislated, every action that is in accordance to the legislation, and it won't be rejected. It will not be rejected. It will not be rejected. The mantuq of it is that every action that is performed not in accordance to the legislation, that's rejected. Therefore, the mafhum of it, the implied meaning of it, is that every action that is performed in accordance to the legislation, that action will be rejected with the condition that if it's an act of worship, and if it's an act of worship, it's a mustat, it has two conditions, one of them. Sincerity. If it is the case that you perform the action in accordance to the Sunnah of the Messenger, in accordance to the legislation, sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that action shall be accepted. Uh, part number nine is the summary, is the summary of this hadith, and it consists of six points. We'll mention those six points at the beginning of next week's lesson. Um, so unless something needs to be repeated now yeah.
It's not, it was not just ibadat, hatta al-i'tiqad. So, yeah, so the, the, the principle is that, so the question is, is that, is it the case that worship, uh, innovation is only limited to acts of worship? Is it the case that innovation is only limited to acts of worship? Because people say, if you're saying uh, such and such a thing is a bid'ah, then what about cars? Cars didn't exist in the time of the messenger. What about, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, whatever, electrical toothbrush, for example. So now, the answer to that is that, or Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he, he mentions a qa'idah. And that qa'idah is everything in the deen is haram. Everything in the deen is haram. Except there is a text that says otherwise. For example, how you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What you believe in. You can't willy-nilly believe in what you want to believe in. That is, that is the difference between us and Ahlul Bid'ah. That our beliefs are taken solely from the texts. We affirm what Allah has affirmed for himself in his book and we negate what Allah has negated from himself in his book and besides that we don't delve into it. Whereas the Ash'ari, for example, the Ash'aris, their belief concerning Allah, it is as though the one that they're worshipping is just a god of negation. Uh, Allah isn't limited by space. Uh, Allah doesn't sleep. Uh, uh, Allah, uh, he doesn't speak. Uh, Allah doesn't rise, Allah doesn't do this, Allah doesn't do this, Allah isn't this, Allah... Where's the madh in there? Yani, the attributes of Allah, when we speak about the attributes of Allah, they are a praise of Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we say that He's Ar-Rahman, that Rahma is a praise of Him. When, he, when we say that, he's, uh, that He has a sifa of Al-Adl, of justice, that's a praise of Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Negating from Allah, Jalla wa az, that isn't yani, in and of itself a praise. That is what the Ashaira do. So our, our religion is based as far as our deen is concerned, as far as our worship is concerned, as far as our beliefs are concerned, they are haram, we are, it is haram. It is haram for us to bring about, introduce something into our beliefs, into our acts of worship, unless we have a text for it. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says. And as far as the dunyawi matters are concerned, then everything is opposite halal unless there is a text that says otherwise so you can marry whom you want and you can eat what you want and wear what you want unless there is a text that says otherwise i mean that is uh, what you call um istiqra you know by going through the book to the the fuqaha would have gone through the books and they would have seen that the ayat says marry whom you wish eat what you eat uh, uh, you know, all of these are any'am, they're general. But then a text comes that makes it muqayyid, that makes it limited and specific. So you can marry whom you want, except these. Eat what you want, except this. Wear what you want, except this. Don't wear the clothes of women. Why? Because of the text saying specifically. Don't wear those clothes that are specific to the disbelievers, because of the text that says it. Sleep this, sleep how you want, except this way. Why? Because of the text that says it. Are you with me? If you accept it, if you accept it, if you accept the food, someone gives you food that is 
uh, uh, in celebration of an innovation. Could you accept it? Or is that considered accommodating it? Okay, so the question isn't about whether you should accept it. The question is about, is that considered accommodating? Yani, is it considered within that hadith, man awah, man awahu? Yani, Allah ala, man, uh, the curse of Allah upon the one that innovates within Medina and the one who accommodates it. Allahu alam. Is it, is it something that is permissible? No, it's not permissible. But your question is, does it enter into the, the one that is cursed by Allah for accommodating the innovator? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I don't know. Allahu A'lam. Allahu A'lam whether um, a person accepting food, uh, yeah, the food, for example, on an on on innovated uh, celebration, whether he, if he accepts it, we know it is not permissible for him to do so. Just like it's not permissible for you to do so for Christmas. Like it's not permissible for you to do so for Diwali, for example. These are innovations. Not likening the innovation of Mawlid to Christmas, obviously. The innovation of Christmas is a, has kufr in it. Mawlid, the person who celebrates it, might not necessarily be doing it out of a, a belief that is based upon kufr. But the point is, is that, is it the case that it is allowed? No. Is it the case that it enters into being under the threat of being cursed by Allah for accommodating the innovator. Take your time for Salah now, Ikhwan. Allah Ta'ala A'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alhamdulillahi wa rabbil